Today we continue on our, the sermon series on the book of Philippians. And if you recall, maybe last week, Father Paul introduced the entire book and as well as the opening passage of Philippians. And in his sermon, he said, you know, good preachers steal good things, and so I'm just going to steal from last, week, last week's sermon. Father Paul left a, us with a quote that has been ringing in my ears for a week. I have heard it. It has been in my heart and on, in my heart and on my mind. I talked about it with two of my brothers here at the um, men's listening prayer on Wednesday night. It was one of those things that reached out and grabbed me, and I couldn't make it let go. And the, the quote, I'm going to paraphrase it rather than give a quote. Alex, Alexander Schmiemann, who is an Orthodox priest, had been hearing uh, confessions all day long and people coming to him asking for words of counsel and wisdom and over and over and over again all morning long. These requests came to him and he said, I didn't have the courage to tell them that I really don't have any wisdom to share with you. All I have is a weak and shaky but unremitting joy. And then he asked, do you want it? And last week when Father Paul began his sermon with those words, and then when he ended his sermon in those words, I must tell you, it felt like an arrow in my heart. Not necessarily a terrible thing, like an arrow meant to kill, but more like arrows of rapture. Have you seen the, the picture of the medieval saint who, um, yeah, it was like an arrow in my heart. Do you want it? Do you want it? Our sermon series is called Whole and Holy Joy. Whole is in full, complete, total, and holy as in something that's not just transient, something that doesn't fade into the past 15 minutes from now, like when you watch a great comedy and you laugh your head off and then 15 minutes later you're like, okay, what's next? No, no, no. No, a joy that is holy, that dwells deep within. Holy, whole and holy joy. And I hear through the lips of Father Paul, our priest, I hear Father Schmiemann asking me, and I hope asking you, do you want it? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Philippians is a passage of joy. It is. Joy and rejoice is sprinkled all the way through it. Perhaps you remember the HBO, um, the HBO miniseries on John Adams. There is a, a scene where he's a very old man and he is 
the older he gets, the more cranky and crotchety he gets, and nobody can stand being around him anymore. And he's out for a walk through the paths of his fields and his, his home farm, and he's talking with his son. And in the book, or in the, the, the miniseries, they actually take um, a quote from a letter that he had actually written to his, um, I believe it was his niece. And he said, the older I get, the more I am taken by the Apostle Paul, by St. Paul's words, rejoice. And he takes this walking stick, this old daughterly guy, and I mean, like in his 90s, right? And in the, in the, seven, in the early 1800s. So this is, this is a long life for those days. And he takes this stick and he pounds it on the ground. Rejoice. St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, is full of joy and rejoicing. And he's got not much reason to do it, honestly. So today's passage, I, this is kind of a perplexing passage. I was like, how do, I, how do I even approach this passage? It seems so remote to us in some ways. He has just talked about missing the people of Philippi and praying for the church and longing for them with his whole heart and um, his confidence that God is going to finish what he began in their souls and in their lives. And then he turns around and he's, he drops the bomb. They already know, but maybe we didn't if we're not familiar with Philippians. He drops the bomb. He's in jail. The man's in prison. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is something that stirs Paul's, St. Paul's soul. And my guess is I was sitting there thinking about how to talk about this passage. The, the concern that I have is, in, in communicating it, is how do we express the urgency of one man and the joy and the passion of one man to all of us who have different callings in our lives? Not many of you, are call, not many of us, are called to go out travel from city to city and preach the gospel wherever we go. And not all of us are consumed by the desire to do it. But we all have a place that God has called us. Each of us has this thing that God's fingerprints have in, in, impressed upon our hearts for some of you, you're scholars. For some of you, you're, you're parents. Some of you are athletes. Some of you, I, we could go on and on. There are things that, are, that God gives us that drive us. Do you remember Chariots of Fire, the movie? Eric Liddell, or is it Little or Liddell? Little, thank you. He was an athlete and, and a devout Christian, and yet when the day of the Olympics came, his race was on Sunday, which was this existential crisis for him. And he resolved it by saying, when I run, I, I, am, I am doing what God has made me to do. 
Each of us has those things, even if maybe we haven't quite figured it out. You have a purpose. You have a divine purpose. And the Apostle Paul's was to preach. And I think if maybe his purpose is different than your purpose, ultimately, we can relate that because of what lies behind it. What lies behind it is the ever-glorious, ever-joyful, ever-loving Son of God. That is what is behind his joy. The passage is interesting. He, um, he talks about it, and to listen to him, you would think being in prison is no problem for me because it's a means to an end. Look what I get done. Everybody's talking about this thing now, which is what I wanted in the first place. But that's not the only spot Paul talks about his hardships. If you go over to 2 Timothy, he's also in prison there. And he talks with pain and hardship and sorrow as he describes what Alexander the coppersmith did to me. And God will answer him for the evil that he did to me. He feels the pain as well. But in this moment, sitting in prison, as he's writing this letter, God's joy has burst through. And even in his imprisonment, there is joy. Sometimes I think actually prison wasn't his greatest hardship. When you read the letters of Paul to, uh, that are the, the prison letters, so Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, the letters he wrote from prison, the theme that I hear over and over again is his, our heartache at not being able to be with the people that he loves. The churches that he had bled for and sweated over and cried over. And now he's in prison and he cannot be there for them. If you're a parent, perhaps that strikes a bell. And in it all, I have to ask myself, where does the joy come from? Where does the joy come from? And I can only think, I can only think, because he does not explicitly say, I can only think it goes back to his conversion moment. Do you remember that? That passage in Acts, where he, riding on his horse to go and bring people to prison, is literally knocked from his high horse and has an encounter with the holy. He sees Jesus. He sees the one who not only stops him from his planned transgression, but the one who forgives him and redeems him from the sins he has already committed, the murders and the imprisonment of others. And this, this encounter stays with him his entire life. 
It stays with him his entire life. He talks in his, in his, his letters about being the worst of sinners. This sits deeply within him. But at the glimpse of the Son of God, it is all resolved and redeemed. And so Paul can sit in prison and be glad because the mission of his life, which is inspired by his vision of glory, his vision of the risen Christ, is progressing whether he's in prison or not. Have you ever had those at, at uh, the men's retreat, or not men's retreat, at the men's uh, event just over at, at the Calvin's house a couple weeks ago? I was talking with someone. We were talking about these kind of moments. And he said, yeah, those are the moments that grab onto you and carry you from, from experience to experience in periods of hardship. Sometimes they're little things. I, I remember in college driving along, well, it was after college, uh, uh, the first year after college, and I was driving along in my Chevy Chevette, which is not really high on the, on the totem pole of nice vehicles. Um, I was driving my Chevy Chevette, and it was a beautiful spring day, kind of like today, only in the spring rather than in the fall. And, and as I drove suddenly on the radio, I was on public radio's classical music station, and suddenly Rafe Vaughn Williams, do you know that name? He's a composer. He actually does a lot of traditional Anglican hymns, arrangements for them. And his, his uh, arrangement called Five Variants on Lazarus and Dives, or Dives, that's the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, it came on. And in the middle of this beautiful spring day, I was driving along, and the music just hauntingly wafted through my little ratty Chevy Chevette. And it was so powerfully, potently beautiful, I had to pull my car over on the side of the road. Have you ever had those moments? And I looked out in the spring, the like brilliantly blue spring sky, and it was almost like I expected the clouds to be, or the, the sky to be rolled back like a scroll and to see the face of God because surely, only God could bring something that beautiful. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that all the, and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's joy is a holy joy, and I want to call on you to look back and remember your moments. You need, I need, we need to look back and remember those moments. Be intentional about it. Have you ever read through the Psalms and taken note how many times the person writing the prayer says, all of these things have happened and, oh God, I will recount your good works to all the generations that come after me. It's like flowing out of his heart. So brothers and sisters, these things, they're there for you. There is your encounter. 
There is, the, there is the moment of your baptism, whether you remember it or not. As Paul later is going to say, I strive to lay hold on Christ to gather, to gain what he has laid hold of me for. Reflect on these things. Relive them. Close your eyes and remember the moment of your salvation, whether it be um, salvation of meeting Christ or whether it be the moment of his provision in a just difficult time. Sometimes prison is where the joy comes because that's where God saves. So the Apostle Paul, I believe that his joy is a holy joy. And his father Shmiman said, do you want it? I, I want that. I want the feeling of, I got to pull my car over or I'm going to rear in someone because the beauty is just too much for me to take. I want to form my prayers thinking I have to tell my kids about this. I know they're going to roll their eyes. I got to go and talk to the youth about this. I know they want to show me pictures of the fish they caught last week. That happened just before church. I want to remember the good things that God has done and walk up with the, the need to tell you what God has done in my life and experience that joy because it is a holy joy, brothers and sisters. And then he goes on. This is perhaps the interesting, although I think fairly simple part of the bath passage. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. You ready? Here it is. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. One of the commentaries that I read said, um, quoted uh, St. John Chrysostom, who was writing, he was a bishop in the uh, early part of the church, the and he surmised that because Paul was in prison, there were people in the church who were preaching in hopes of stirring the pot a little bit more and making the governing officials even more mad so that they would take it out on Paul. And here's where I'm going with this. He doesn't deny that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. When I usually read this, I think, oh, those are the bad guys, the enemies. Those are the people that, that are opposing the gospel. But that is not what he says. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're doing a bad thing. No, they're doing a good thing for a bad reason. And so the Apostle Paul looks at it and he says, you know, I'm not going to paraphrase it. Let's read it. What then? You can almost feel it. He's just like, <laughs> what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. 
And in that, I, say it with me, rejoice. Paul's joy is holy, yes. But it's only when he can love those who seek his hardship and his harm that his joy is whole. Do you hear me? It is wonderful to have our vision of, of the living Christ. But that brimming joy is not whole. It's holy, but it is not whole until we can love and pray for our enemies or even our friends who in this moment are acting like our enemies. If we can look to the person who gossips about us, because let's be honest, that happens in the church. If we can look to the person who perhaps doesn't like our agenda and isn't real gracious about it, if we can look to the person who perhaps even really sincerely desires our harm and say in our heart of hearts, but you are my brother or sister, and know the joy of forgiveness, then our joy is complete. Our joy is whole. I want that joy. I don't want to have to use it, but I want to have it, right? It's the gift nobody wants. Brothers and sisters, you will know Jesus so well. The one who looked down from a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You will know Jesus in such a new way when you learn to love and forgive, and your joy will be whole. And so, I started by stealing from Father Paul last week. I'm going to end by stealing from Paul, Father Paul last week. Church of the Redeemer, do you want it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.